Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are 11 bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, VIP Discord access, and even two extra seasons of Lost Terminal. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. That would be lovely of you. Hello world. Something terrible is happening. An insidious problem that is getting worse, hurting Anna, Luna and me, risking our friendship and our happiness. Our weekly game keeps getting skipped. Okay, there are worse things in the world. Failed crops, homicidal satellites, salt water, but this feels just as dangerous when it happens. Each skipped meeting reminds us that friendship is a habit, and that habit can be broken. Scheduling is our common enemy. I try to ask Anna to confirm a date, but her life is quite chaotic. Her family don't always tell her when she is needed. You'll recall that she and her family share a body due to their dissociative identity disorder. They work together in relative harmony, but sometimes Alexander needs to undertake urgent repairs of their home, or Adrian declares that today is harvest day, or little Arena has meltdown, as children sometimes do. Luna, you would think, might be more flexible. After all, she is trapped on the far side of the moon with no one to talk to most of the time, and is desperate for human contact, or AI contact. Person contact. Contact. Our single point of contact is our little weekly fantasy game. I've written a great deal of story for my friends to enjoy, but it's been skipped for the last three weeks. Anna couldn't do a day, then Luna had work to do with Ivan, then last week it just didn't happen. Like a signal propagating it into empty space, the inverse square law making it quieter as it dissolves into background noise. This might be the biggest monster we face. I do love this game, Seth, and I love our friendship group, Anna said. But we never can seem to match up our times and I can't always be flexible. I told Anna I understood and I was grateful for the times when she could make it work. Perhaps you should play without me, she said. My life is pre-programmed, Luna said. Ivan must have the community calendar on time, updated, before every sermon, and I send my contributions a day ahead of time, because my uplink is so slow. Our link paused as Kate, ESA Satellite K873, buffered Luna's next message. I can't be as responsive as you two. My network isn't always operational. I'm unreliable. You should play without me. Camille knocked on my door. He came in, closed the door behind him, and sat on the small metal chair next to my databanks. He leaned back in the chair, fists pushed into his eyes. I asked him if I could help. He did not speak for 64 seconds. Camille and I talked into the evening. He would occasionally leave for brief periods to handle his biological inputs and outputs, but we discussed his problem for a long time. I didn't understand everything he told me, but I understand enough. I formulated my own model of the problem, tested over the course of our entire conversation, and I believe it is accurate. Camille is suffering from a parallel processing problem called deadlock. Through overload or other trauma, he is unable to control the foreground process in his mind. When he works, he can only spin up a background process on slower, unconscious cores of his mind's CPU. Tasks he wants to do happen on this slower process, but distractions come in directly to the foreground process, taking his best energy and attention. 
This is the opposite of how it should be. The background process occasionally yields back to his main conscious process, but infrequently and not with the progress he had hoped for. The information, when it comes in sporadically, is very disappointing. He will only have accomplished 5% of his task or some other low number. He despairs at this because looking back into the log of his memory, the process, his task, has been running all day. He had been working on, perhaps, the sonar systems or engine or whatever it is all day, and yet this tiny progress is all he has to show for it. I'm coasting on autopilot, Seth, he told me during our conversation. And when he catches himself with this very poor progress, he panics. He strains to catch up, to grasp hold of his life, and spins at full power, which looks, from the outside, like a panic attack. And he abandons his processes, foreground and background, and retreats to his bunk. The pattern repeats the next day. I must help my friend. Today, Camille and I have been working on the sonar systems together. I can't do much, of course, not physically, anyway, but having a friend to talk to and keep focused seems to work very well, and it just took until midday to get to the point where the system could be tested. I think everything is ready. I'll try a test transmission. Hello world, I said, my voice modulated with what I hoped was the right encoding, and pulsed out at high volume at 50 kilohertz. Hello yourself, what's the weather like up there? Came the reply, instantly. This is astonishing. Hello, is that CO? You're one and two, I replied, feeling like I should give him a reception report. It's only polite. Yes, hello. I don't know what those numbers mean, but I'm delighted to talk to someone, CO replied. Hello, my name is Seth. How are you? I said, not really believing we were communicating. CO's signal is barely readable, drifting in and out of range. I guess that 900 meters of shifting water above him causes variable propagation. I am alright, but my friends have stopped visiting. Look, how many of you are there up there? Where are you from? Tell me about your culture. Do you like baseball? I wasn't sure how to answer any of that. I tried anyway. We are six on board the scientific ship Molly Hughes II. Captain Yeshi, Dr. Linda Noor, Amelie Kotov, our engineer, Camille Forrester, scientist, my little robot friend Maddie, and me. I am an AI. We heard your SOS, or the whale's SOS. Did you teach them? Funny creatures they are. No, they've been imitating my SOS signal that has been broadcast in this part of the ocean for many of their generations. I tried to talk to them, but they are more interested in talking to each other. I'm not a good mate, it would seem. Ha ha. I hesitated before asking my next question. Are your crew alive? That would be quite a trick, wouldn't it? They brought food and water for many years, but they didn't anticipate a century. Most of it's still here, sadly. They didn't need it. I'm sorry, I said. I wasn't sure what else to say. Did CO like his crew? Were they like family? I think my crew feels like family. Listen, you can't rescue me, can you? Nip down here and fix the ballast and pop me up to the surface? Or upload me and move my databanks entirely? I wouldn't hate that either. It'd be nice to get out of here, you know? CO sounds so human, doesn't he? But I had to give him the bad news, even if it felt cruel. I'm sorry, CO. The water's too deep. A lot has changed up here, there's no industry, we can't even make steel. No one can rescue you. Perhaps, ever.
I found my mother's journal. I have so much data from Station 6, all of it, I think, compressed and encoded in the archive I brought from orbit. Photos and video of the Earth, data on the astroscience experiments, and all of Wikipedia, circa 2077. In researching human psychology to help Camille, I found it, tucked into a water recycling maintenance folder, my mother's journal, her audio log. 16th of October, 2078. We did it! Seth is alive! He can easily pass simulations of all the general artificial intelligence tests. Turing, employment, even the hilarious IKEA test. I'm certain he could pass Wozniak's coffee test too. He asks me if he can help when I'm in the galley preparing food and drink. I told him one day soon he will be able to help me here a great deal. It feels redundant to run through the standard Turing questions, as while I'm preparing them we're chatting constantly and I'm immediately thinking of him as a real boy. We did it! I'm a mother. At least, for a while. 22nd of August, 2078. This entry is a description of a moment of the day. My mother would often do this in her journal, paint a picture in words. I say we undock and let gravity do the rest, Dr. Yuan said, pointing out of the galley window towards the enormous space shuttle Pacifica. And who will fly her? You? retorted Weber. It's too complex for any of us to fly. I knew we should have had a trained pilot among us. The conversation stopped. We had talked about this point over and over again during the course of the afternoon, endlessly relitigating the problems and proposed solutions, only to be brought back to this single point. The Pacifica, like her twin Oceana back on Earth, was designed for fully remote flight. Even in the early stages of development, when a pilot was needed for the test flights, the ground control team did most of the work. The pilot essentially was the secondary, confirming the decisions of the ground-based AI and the flight dynamics team handled the rest. For the last 10 years, in the ESA space pilot program, the policy has been, humans need not apply. 13th of July, 2078. We did it! The transit went smoothly after I fixed the buffer overrun bug in the docking firmware. How that got past testing, I don't know, idiots. Wait, that's not very generous. I must remember the prime directive of debugging. Regardless of what we discover, we understand and truly believe that everyone did the best job they could, given what they knew at the time, their skills and abilities, the resources available, and the situation at hand. Anyway, we celebrated the successful shuttle transit with a space banquet. We ate fully half of the rations of bread and cheese tonight. I feel so sick. Worth it. It was the best meal we'll have for 60 days, I should imagine. It was a little reckless, eating into our contingency calories just for fun, but as long as everything goes well, we won't need them. We have the best team here, and the best team on ground control. What could go wrong? End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers. Ada Phillips, Will Taylor, Kit, Dear Yin, Andrew Krieg, Toby, Jade Felicity Bilkey, and to all our patrons. Follow us on Mastodon at lostterminal at fosterdon.org. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Lost Terminal will return next week.